Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you tonight about revival and really talk to you a little bit tonight in this teaching as far as what revival looks like. What does revival really, really look like when we say, you know what, uh, the church is in revival, our, you know, our nation is in revival, communities are in revival, our home is in revival. What does revival really look like? Is revival all about emotion? Uh, I've seen a lot of times, as, as times, you know, we'll hoop and holler and run the aisles and and, and, and fall out on the floor. There'll be messages and tongues and interpretation. All of the, the gifts of the Spirit will be operating. We'll leave that and we'll say, okay, well, that, that was a revival-like service. And more often than not, what we do is we attribute revival to the emotional apex of a service. The louder a service is or the, or, or the more exuberant a service is and that it looks like that it's uh, that it's revival. And a lot is being said concerning revival, especially in these days. We've seen what has just transpired over in Asbury. We saw what happened in at Lee University and the revivals. I believe that they were genuine sovereign moves of the Spirit of God that was happening. But it, it began to spark a debate. It began to spark a debate among, among Christian leaders and Christian communities about what does revival actually look like. Because for a lot of people, what happened in these places, what happened uh, at, in, in these places really didn't look like how we would package revival. For instance, I would hear some of the criticisms and I would try not to, to, to tune my ears to hear a lot of the criticisms, but I would hear some of the things and some people would say, well, that's not a real revival. That's not revival because, you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have a name attached to it. And what they were talking about was, is that there wasn't, you know, there, it wasn't some evangelist that came in and was holding the revival. As a matter of fact, in Asbury, there were actually several people that tried to that tried to weave their way into that particular set of meetings and begin to uh, and begin to uh, try to uh, exert their what they thought. Well, if it's going to be a revival, I want to I want to attach myself to it, and you're going to need my help. But how many knows the Holy Spirit don't need our help? Amen. The Holy Spirit don't need our help. Now, what I love about the Holy Spirit, what I love about God is the fact that he works in conjunction with us. I love that facet about him. He doesn't need me, but he wants to work with me. Amen. And so, again, there's a lot that is being said concerning revival. And sometimes we will say to ourselves, well, uh, I've got these dates on the calendar and, and coming up, this is going to be our time of revival. I can remember uh, there's still churches to this day uh, that they have a spring revival and they have a 
fall revival. They and they and they carve out that week or or three to five days out and say, okay, these are the times that we are going to have revival. We're gonna we're gonna bring the guest minister in, and we're gonna have some special. We're gonna have some special singing, and we're gonna have some special music. And those services are a little bit different than. The, the norm, you know, and some people may get a little bit more happy. Some people may get a little bit more uh, excited. And so sometimes we try to plan out revival. But here's what I understand about revival. Revival is not a response to man's plan. We can't plan revival. We can't decide we're going to have revival and all of a sudden, whoo, have revival. We cannot, we, because I've, I've been to a lot of places, even as an evangelist, where they said, we're going to have revival. And I look around and I'm going, uh, uh, I don't know about that tonight. Uh, or have we been preparing ourselves for revival? And so you can put it on a calendar, but God doesn't necessarily respond to our planning, but God responds to our hunger. Amen. God will always respond to your desire to see a move of God. Why do I think that we had the services that we had on Sunday? I believe that we had the services on Sunday, not just simply because we thought, well, you know, we're due to have a good, you know, shouting service and a good church service and and, 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 it, and it be a little bit more exuberant and what have you. But I believe that what happened last Sunday was a response to the hunger of some men and women in this house. I believe, and let me, I, I, I know I'm teaching, but I just want to preach here for a while. When you get hungry and you get desperate and you realize and you decide and you, and you figure out, you know what, I've got to have something greater than what I've been experiencing. I've got to have, I've got to have something deeper than what I'm tired of living at the shallow end of the pool. I want to get up into the deep waters where there's some water to swim in. I want to get into a place where I feel like that I've just lost control of the Holy Spirit. We've lost control, but the Holy Spirit is in control. And I believe that God doesn't necessarily respond to man's planning, but God responds to man's hunger. And if you're hungry enough, God moves. Why? We talked about this just a few weeks ago when we talked about being hungry and thirsty. Then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they shall be filled. If you're hungry enough, God will meet you and God, and God will move. And so what? So when we talk about revival, I believe that there are, I believe that whereas every revival looks different, if you study church history, you study church culture and the revivals that, that happened throughout the, throughout the centuries, even all the way back to the day of Pentecost, and you begin to look at all of this, every revival may on the surface appear different. We have different preachers, we have different singers, it's different church buildings, it's a different culture. How many are thankful that we don't, I'm thankful for Cambridge Revival, but how many are thankful that we don't have church like the people in Cambridge anymore? Amen. I don't know about you, but I love air conditioning. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't like putting one race up in a loft somewhere, and that's the only place that they can watch a service. 
Amen. Amen. I thought I got some amens right there. And, and so culture looks different. But I believe that if we study revival, if we study scripture, we will see patterns in revival. We will see principles of revival. Because when we look at all this, where the singers may be different, the preaching may be different, the building may be different. Every revival that has been, that is a genuine revival and a sovereign move of God, where God responded to man's hunger, always had patterns. There was always a foundation. There was always, there was always principles about the revival that when you look at, you can say, okay, I see this and I see this right here and I see this area right here. And because of that, God is able to move, and we call that revival. For instance, for every revival that there's been, we understand that there has been obedience to God's word. We understand for every revival that has happened, there has been a consistent prayer life. For every revival that there has ever been, we understand that there is honest confession. You can't have true revival unless you're honest with yourself. I'm going to say that again. You can't have true revival in your life. You can't have revival in your home. You can't have revival in your church. You can't have revival in your community unless you are honest with yourself that you need revival. Amen. So there's an honest confession. There is also, there in every move of God, in every revival, there is sincere repentance. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. And then also there is, there is an emphasis on returning back to holy living. I know we don't like talking about holiness a lot much these days in the modern church. But every move of God strives to bring people back into line with the holiness of God to where we live on a higher plane. We live as the Paul the Apostle would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where he would say, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said, but come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He said that I will receive and so we look at all of that and so the pattern could be summed up by these words are you okay tonight I know we're just teaching tonight but it could be summed up in these words return repent remove and then you can receive so let's 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 say that again you got to return you got to repent you got to remove and then you are able to receive and so I think about that and I ask myself, where can I find this in Scripture? I'm glad that you asked. And so I want you to take your Bibles with me. We're going to te- I'm going to teach this to you tonight in just the next few minutes. And go with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 22. 2 Kings chapter 22 tonight. We're actually going to be looking at a few verses, a, a, a few verses of Scripture. I am not taking... A normal text in this teaching tonight, but Second Kings chapter twenty-two and chapter twenty-three. The Bible talks about a young king, a young king that God calls at the age of eight years old. It is it, it is King Josiah. I mean, think about it. You are thrust 
into a position of authority. God has brought you into a position of authority at eight years old. I didn't even know how to fix my own breakfast at eight years of age. I still go to my mom and say, hey, mom, can you make me some pancakes and can you make me, you know, can you fix me some cereal or whatever? I, Pastor, I wouldn't know what to think if God, called, if God called me at eight years of age, that would be the equivalent of today, Brother Johnny, of God looking at me, uh, God looking at an eight-year-old and going, I'm going to make you president and you're president at eight years of age. That's what happened to Joel. That's what happened to Josiah here. He was eight years old when, when he began to reign. And the Bible says that he did which was right in the sight of the Lord. From the very beginning, he did everything that was right in the sight of the Lord. But in the 18th year of his reign, something begins to shift in his heart. See, listen, he's already doing what's right. He's already walking in the footsteps of his father David. And think about this. The Bible says he's doing everything right. He's walking upright. He's blameless. He's sinless. He's doing, he's doing everything which is right in the sight of God. He walked in the way of David his father. He did not turn to the right or to the left. He remained steadfast. But, but, but in the 18th year of his reign, he realizes he needs something. Now what does that tell me? What that tells me is that, say, is that revival is not simply for the backslide. Revival is not simply for the heathen. Revival is not simply, see, we think that revival, that revival is for the churches that are just really jacked up and messed up and, 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 you know, and, and haven't had a move of God in 50 years. And so that's, and so that's the church that God is wanting to send revival to. But not so for Josiah. Josiah was steadfast. Josiah, well, Josiah was, was, was walking in the ways of God. But in the 18th year of his reign, he understood he had to have something more. And sometimes even good churches, even good people, even spirit-filled people have to experience revival in their life. Because what is revival? Revival is taking us to the next place. Revival is all about bringing us to the next level. It's good. Remember, and this is not in my notes, and I don't want to. I don't want to veer too far off into this teaching. But remember, remember Ezekiel. Remember Ezekiel when he said, "I saw the river that flowed from the throne of God. It flowed from the temple." And we remember that story about how it was ankle deep, and then how it was knee deep, and how it was waist deep, and then finally he was in waters to swim in. Listen, he was, from the very beginning, he was in the river of God. But how many knows that it is, that it is important that we don't necessarily stay in the ankle deep water? That's a great place to start. But it's not God's will for us to, what, stay there. And, and then we move 
to knee deep water. It's good to stay. It's good to be in knee deep water. But God's intention is not for the church to stay there. I'm thankful to be in waist deep water. But it's not God's intention for us to stay there. But where God wants to take the church is to a place of overflowing. Oh, come on, you ain't helping me tonight. He wants to take us to a place where perpetually we are operating in the overflow of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's miracles, of God's love. Uh, come on, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach here right now. Uh, of, of God's spirit. It's good to start off in the shallow end, into the ankle deep. But if that is where you stay at, you will never advance into everything that God has for you. God's will for you, God's will for me, is for us to get into the over where we are so encompassed about with the waves of God's glory. I feel the Holy Spirit right now while I teach it. That we are so overfilled with God's glory that we just can't contain it. We just have to, it so overcomes us that we don't even want to get back onto the bank. Amen. And so revival is for good people. Not just the messed up, jacked up people. And so I see in these two chapters a pattern of revival. Now remember we said that revival is to return, to repent, to remove, and to receive. So what happens here? So in this we find out, number one, I've just got three quick points that I want to, that I want to give to you here tonight in this teaching and then we'll be done. Number one, if you're going to experience revival, there's got to be a restoration of the temple. Now here's what I mean by that. Well, let me give you a scripture reference here. And 2 Kings chapter 22 verses 4 through 6. He sends word. Josiah sends word to the high priest that they get up all the silver, all the gold that is in, and, 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 which is to be brought to the house of the Lord. Gather all the people together. Deliver it into their hands. Why? Because there is much work to be done. He says there's a work that has to be done. So I need you to get all of the silver. all the, Basically all of the money. Let's get it into the hands of the peoples. Of the doers of the work. That have oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches. Josiah looks at the temple, looks at the house of God and he says everything's good but there's things that have to be repaired. Now, he's talking about things in the natural. But the spiritual implication for us as the church is we have to look at the temple. Because a lot of the times, or sometimes, we will look at our areas of life and we realize that there are breaches that need to be repaired. Now let's think about this. There's three temples I want to talk to you about. Just real quick. Number one, we are the temple. We are the temple of the Spirit of God. The second temple is I want to talk about the temple of your home. The third temple I want to talk about is the place that we come together as the corporate body. 
So number one, let's talk about let's talk about this temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. When we look at this temple and we understand, do that are there any breaches in our temple? If there is, in order for us to experience to receive what God wants to do, that has to be repaired. Right? Right? Those areas that we have allowed, that we have allowed things like discouragement, anger, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, strife. Okay, y'all getting quiet on me right now. Uh, things that we have allowed that, that we have taken walls down. And allow the enemy to gain to gain an access, those breaches have to be repaired. You see, why is it that Paul would admonish the believers and he would say, take every thought into captivity, everything that would insult itself above the knowledge of God? Because he understood that if it stayed there long enough, eventually it would breach your temple. And then before you know it, you are no longer walking in victory, but you're walking in discouragement. You're walking in fear. You're walking in anxiety. You're walking in depression. You're walking in, in, in oppression. And so we've got to we've got to repair the breaches because how many knows that a lot of the time? Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. I, let me just teach this real quick. Do you understand that the enemy does not have access to your life as a child of God? I'm just letting you know. The enemy does not have access to you as a child of God. How do I know that? How do I know that, Pastor? I know that. I know that by what Satan told God as it concerned Job. He said, I would love to touch you. I would love to afflict you. I would love to fight against you, but I can't because there's a hedge around me. You have put a hedge of protection around me. Now take the hedge down, God. Now take the hedge down, and I'll make him curse you to your face. And so God allows the hedge to be taken down. God, and Satan afflicts Job, but Job still comes back because even though the hedge is taken down, his temple, his body, the, the spiritual side has not been breached. That's the reason why that he can stand back and lift up his hands and say, naked I come into this world and naked I'm going to leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that all this Job did not sin against God, nor did he charge God. God foolishly. So that lets me to believe that anything that comes our way, there's there's two folks here. The only way that is a child, blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God, the only way that something can come our way is number one, if God allows it to come our way, and number two, if we open up the door and let it walk in. Amen? And a lot of times, a lot of times what we blame on God or what we blame on the enemy, what we blame on Satan is not really Satan's work. It's the fact that he may knock on the door. Uh, this is good. This is good teaching right here. He may knock on the door and he may say, hey, let me in. But somebody, I had a preacher friend tell me years ago when I first started the ministry. And he said, son, he said, 
now that you're starting in ministry, he said, there's going to be a lot of people. He said, there's, the enemy is going to try to put a bullseye on your back. The enemy is going to try to do everything that he can to take, to take you out. He says, he says, through temptation and all other sorts of things. He said, that's the reason why you need to know that you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. He said, because when the enemy comes knocking at your door, he said, you don't want to go and answer it. You want to send the Holy Spirit to open up the door and say, no, we don't want any around here. And to shut the door in his face. And so we got to understand. So that's one. Number two, it coincides right along with this. The temple of the home. Why do you say that? Why do you say that, Pastor Jeremy? I say that because before the church was ever formed, the home was formed. God ordained the home and the family before you ever ordained the church. That's the reason why if you want to bring down a church, bring down the family. If you want to bring down a nation, bring down the family. That's the reason why there is such there is such an onslaught against the family unit right now. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. I, I, I listen, and I don't. I, I don't care really what side of the fence that you fall on, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent or whatever like that. Probably about all about ninety percent of all of them are all demon possessed. If you ask me. All right. Now we've got some good ones, and I'm, thank, and I'm thankful for them. Uh, I'm thankful for I'm thankful for our state. I'm thankful for our state representative. That is Holy Ghost. Uh, that is Holy Ghost sealed. But how, how many? How many you know that that's a holy man walking in an unholy place? Amen. Right. And, and so, but and so that's the reason why there's such an onslaught against the family. Because if I can take down the family. And Satan understands this. If I can take down the family, I can take down, I can take down the church. Because we want to let, we want, you know, we want little Billy to know that he may not be a boy. And so what mom and daddy has tried to teach you about, can, we're all adults here, let's just talk about the birds and the bees may not be really what the birds and the bees are all about. And so now, so now we're, so, so now we're, we're, we're starting our kids off early trying to confuse them. And a lot of mamas and daddies are confused. And so there's been a breach in the home because, because we've, we've let We've let the card down in the home and we let everything, just whatever it is, just walk right into the temple of the home. Men, can I tell you something? God still has a job for you. You are the priest of your home. And if you, listen, I'm, I, listen, I, 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 I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for mothers. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for women in the church. How many knows in the last 50 to 70 years, if it hadn't been for women in the church, the church in America would probably crumble and fail. But that's all because men did not take the rightful place to be the kings and the priests that God has commanded them to be in their home and there's breaches in the temple. And when there's breaches in the temple, you cannot experience revival. Oh! oh that, okay, here we go. That's the reason why. Can I just, can I just can I give you a little insight into our home? 
we, we have a structure in our home. I'm the king. I'm the king of the castle. Now that's not to puff me up or to say anything. My wife is the queen of the castle. And we walk in tandem together. I, it is not my job to lord over her and to treat her as though she is weaker than I am. But God has outlined a role for me and God has outlined a role for her and we work in tandem in connection. That's the reason why many times, Pastor, that our kids, one of our, sometimes our kids will come to us and will look and will ask and will ask my wife and say, "Hey, can we do this? Or can we do? Or can we do that? Will you, will you get me this? Or will you get me that? Can we go here? Or can we go there?" And they'll say, and and, and, and Jessica will tell her, "No, we're not going to do that." And about ten minutes later, they'll find me off somewhere where I was you know, where I was even privy to the conversation, and go, "Hey, can we go here? Can we do that? Can we do this?" And nine times out of ten, my first response is, "Have you talked to your mama?" about it first. Have you you already asked her? And more often than not, they already have. And I'll look at my kids and I'll tell my kids that why are you coming to me trying to pit me against her? We are a team. And and, okay, well I'm getting ready to preach right now. And a lot of times what happens is that we get so caught up in Hollywood sitcoms where the man is meant to be a bubbling fool and an idiot and can't put a washer together and can't mow the grass and can't fix a roof and can't fix a leak or do anything like that. And the woman has done every a woman is the smartest person in the room. And what happened? I'm not even listen. I hope y'all understand where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to be mean and be spirited. What it is is we've castrated our men in America. And what happens is is that there has been a breach in the home. And when there's been a breach in the home, the home cannot experience a revival. But if you take an inventory of what is going on in your home, dads, if you take the inventory of what's going on in your home, and you'll understand, hey, there's been some areas that I've let down. There's been some areas of breach, and you begin, and you begin to repair the breach, you will experience revival. It's okay, Pastor. And so, so you have this temple, us, you have the you have the home, then you have where we come together corporately. Because it all it all flows together. It all connects together because you affect the individual, you affect the home, it'll trickle down to where then the church is affected. I wish I had, I wish I had, I only got about about 10 or 15 minutes left to preach it, so I don't, I don't have time to really teach this in depth. But I believe that God is restoring honor back to the house if you'll let Him. I believe that God is calling us to be a place both individually in the home and corporately places that house the glory. God is going to provide the resources for whatever that we need. Number two. In 2 Kings chapter 22 verses 8 through 10 we find out here that not only is there a restoration of the temple But there's also a rediscovery, this is the second pattern, a rediscovery of the word that leads, listen to me carefully here, because it's not just simply a discovery of the word. We got a lot of people that read the word. We got atheists that read the word. 
We've got agnostics that read the word. We've got Satanists that read the word. We've got all we've got just plain out and out sinners that read the Bible. But it's not just simply a rediscovery of the word, but when they discovered the word, it led to their obedience. See, here's the thing. We like all the good stuff, but we don't like any of the perceived negative stuff that comes with the word. We like to hear how God's going to bless us. We like to hear all those different types of things. I've heard people, listen, I'm not trying to be mean, not trying to sound hateful or anything like that. I've called people such times that haven't been in church in six years. They get into a bond. And they talk to you about it. They talk to a pastor or a minister about it. And you hear them say, you know, I know I'm going through it right now, but I just know, you know, that scripture says that all things will work together for good to know me or it will all work together for my good. And I want to shake them, sister, still, and say, well, it won't. That's not a promise to everyone. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm. See, see, any revival devoid of the Word is not a revival. there There may be a lot of spiritual stuff going on. It's like the conversation I had with a pastor many years ago. And he said, oh, Brother Jeremy, I've got to tell you what's going on. i to tell you what's happening in my church. Tell me, Pastor. He says, we've been 10 weeks, 10 Sundays. I'm telling you, we haven't had any preaching. The Holy Spirit has just taken over. I said, that's good. I said, glad to hear that. Can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, out of those 10 weeks, how many people got saved? How many of those? How many of those got sanctified? How many? How many people? How many people in those services? How many of the people in those services got delivered? Uh, I really don't know. I told that pastor. I said, "Well, you didn't experience revival. What you experienced was emotionalism." I was preaching a revival. I won't tell you where it was at. But I was preaching a revival many years ago. Walked in, there was about 250 people in the congregation. Walked up to the platform, the minister of music. Walked over to where I was at and said, Do you want to preach tonight? That's why I'm here. He says, Well, he's out just. He said, I was just curious. He said, if you he said if you feel like preaching tonight, he said, then I'll get them in the mood to hear you preach. He said, if you don't want to preach tonight, he says, I'll get them, he said, I'll get them wound up tonight. At those, at those moments, I have to remind myself that I am saved. I'm just being honest. Because any revival devoid of the word of God is no revival. What I loved about what happened at Asbury is that people 
were tired of the way that they were living and realized that they did not measure up to this book. My brothers and sisters, I know this is how this sounds old-fashioned, it sounds archaic and what have you. This book is the measuring stick for our lives. And if our lives do not measure up to this book, if my life does not measure up to this book, then it is my responsibility to get in line with God's word. We get we get we get quiet when we start talking. We get quiet when we start talking about. But I, and I I get that. I, I understand that because when we read something in the scripture and we find out, wait, I don't measure up to that. It is the Holy Spirit's way of bringing conviction, and conviction should always should doesn't always but should always lead to repentance. And that begs the question, what is repentance? Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Brother Johnny, repentance is not telling you, is not me stealing your car and then coming to you and saying, I'm sorry, and keeping your call. Yeah. Yeah. Repentance is not me stealing a car and saying, I'm sorry I stole that car, and continue to steal cars. That's not repentance. Repentance, are you ready? I know this, this is, this is, Elementary 101, but you'd be surprised how many people in the church struggle with repentance. Repentance is to change directions and have a change of heart. That's the reason why if true repentance, if you have been born again of the Spirit, that's the reason why Paul the Apostle would say, now, if any man or any woman be in Christ Jesus, he, is, he or she is a what? new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you've truly been born again and you have repented of your sins, your goal is to not live that way anymore. See, here, see here's the issue. I've got five minutes to actually preach my, la to preach my last point here. We don't call it sin anymore. Sin went to the psychiatrist and it became a diagnosis. <coughs> we say, well, they struggle. We say, now listen, I, and I'm not against struggles. Please understand what I'm talking about. Please understand what I'm talking about. But when we use that as an avenue, to where we teach somebody, but think about this. What does that do? How much does that diminish the power of God to work in somebody's life when we look at them and say, you know what? You just can't help. 
That's a bunch of baloney. Amen. A lot of times we don't see it as a we don't see it. We see it as a good time. We see it as we're just going to do it, and that's the reason why when we are born again of the Spirit, when when the Word mixed with the Spirit does its work in us. Listen, we don't want to run back to that junk anymore. We don't want to have to deal with that. We don't have to deal with that nature anymore. See, listen, here we go. Are you ready? I want to give you a scripture in the Bible that we don't, that, that most preachers don't preach anymore. I, and, 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 and I'm including all of us. What I'm saying is the Bible says John would write to the church and say, those that are in Christ do not sin. What is he talking about? That means a lifestyle. I'm not living a life. I'm not living a lifestyle of sin. If I if, 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 if I'm reading this word and this word convicts me of something, if this word shows the error of my ways, it's not up for God. It's not God's responsibility to get in line with my view. It's up to me to get in line with God's view. And if I find out that I'm not measuring up the way that I'm supposed to, I need to find an altar somewhere and say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. Wash me. Oh, come on. I'm preaching right now. Wash me in that blood. God, help me. Help me to live. And if you'll help me, I'll never go back to that filth anymore. I'll never live like that. I'll never live like that anymore. And then thirdly, so remember, return, repent, remove, because And 2 Kings chapter 23 verses 4 through 20, Josiah goes throughout all of the land. All the idols were torn down. All the corrupted priests. Think about that. I want you to, I don't have time to preach all that. But all of the corrupted priests that did not represent God fully or correctly were moved as a matter of fact. You know what Josiah had happened to every single one of them? Now this is Old Testament here. But he took them all and he had them killed. Because here's the thing. What is that a representation of? That, re that means that everything that is not like God in our lives has to die. I know we don't like talking about that. But listen. Listen. But we have a cross that we must bear. We have to take up our cross. And what does what, what does the cross symbolize as a sacrifice? We don't sacrifice after our own sins. Don't get me wrong on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've got to be willing to lay our life down. If it's not like Him, if it's not if it's not in Him, if it's not according to His will, we have to be willing to lay it down and let it die. And the interesting thing is, is as people who are not dead physically, that's a hard thing to do spiritually. But Josiah understood. He said, Josiah understood that if, if, if one of those priests were kept alive, they ran the risk of the corruption springing up. And so, so he had the idols torn down. He had the pagan priest removed. The altars were destroyed that were dedicated to false gods. 
In order to patterns of revival, we're talking, that's what we're talking about. Patterns of revival means every idol's got to be torn down. Jessica was looking over my notes before we walked over here. I think that was the first thing that she saw in my notes is that every idol, we've got to take down every idol. And she told me, she said, that's a really hard thing to do because there's a lot of things that we think that are not idols have actually become idols. You know what's interesting? Your children can become idols. Your pocketbook can become an idol. That's the reason, that's the reason why I, I'm a firm believer. And I'm going to try to wrap this up in like two minutes. That's the reason why I'm a firm believer. You show me your checkbook, I'll show you what's in your heart. I'll show you where your priorities lie. But every idol, he had to tear down every single idol. And what happened? Let me tell you what God did for Josiah. You ready? God gave him peace. For the entirety of Josiah's reign, peace came because of the devotion that he showed to God. Because when you're willing to repent, when you're willing to remove, when you're willing to do away with those things, what comes? Peace. What comes? Joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. What what comes? What comes? It, it, it the joy. What that's the reason why the joy of the Lord is our strength, because it follows the pattern. Real quick, Revelation chapter two and chapter three. He would tell the church at Ephesus, "Return to your first love." He would tell the church at Pergamos, "Repent." He would tell the church at Thyatira. Remove all the evil influences out of your life. He told the church at Thyatira, you've suffered Jezebel to come into the church. And then he told the church at Philadelphia, obey and I will protect you. My brothers and sisters, I, I'm a firm believer as I study and I read scripture. Those are the patterns of revival. When we have men and women, boys and girls, that seek the face of God and say, you know what, God? If it's, if it's not like you, remove it. If I've sinned, forgive me. If, I've, if, if there's things that have gotten in the way, I'll remove it. And then what happens? God's glory comes down. You know the reason why Asbury was was such a move of God is that every video that I watched, Brother Michael, every video that I watched, every picture that somebody posted on, on social media, you know what I saw? I saw people around the altars crying out to God saying, God, help me. It was in a response to their hungriness. And so when we think about revival, when we think about what God is wanting us to do, 
Let us return. Let us repent. Let us remove so that then we are able to receive. And I believe Harvest Time and those that are watching by Facebook, I believe we're in that process right now. I believe we are experiencing a revival. People crying out in the altars. People receiving what God has for them. People understanding their frailty in and of themselves to say, God, I need you more than anything else. That is how God responds. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Stand with me all over the house tonight. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.